Good morning. I wanted to share a scripture when we were back there worshiping. The Lord put a scripture in my heart, and I wanted to, to, to kind of start off with it. It's Psalm 147, verse 1. And it says, For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. You know, and as, as we were singing and worship the Lord and, and praising him, um, I started thinking, you know what? We're off to a pretty good start of a day then, right? We've already done something that's good, pleasant, and it says praise is beautiful. We did something that was, what the Bible says, beautiful, right? I'm not talking about your voice. Some of you have better voices than others, right? But to the Lord, it sounded beautiful, beautiful. Um, we're going to keep going and hopefully continue this. This could be the best day ever. By the time we're done, right? But we're off to we're off to a good start, and we're gonna open the word as well because we know that singing praise to God is good, but studying His word is also good, right? So um, let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we're gonna jump in. Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace, your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, we pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts, you would open our minds. Lord, that you reveal your will for us today in your word for us. So we don't want just information, though. We want transformation to take place, Lord. Let us not just be hearers of the word, Lord. Let us be doers. That's our heart's cry this, this, this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in the book of Colossians. And today the plan is to finish chapter 4 and actually finish the book of Colossians. So um, I'm excited about that. We, we left off, if you remember last week, we finished uh, the first verse. So we're going to be picking it up in Colossians chapter, uh, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, and going to the end. I'm going to try to go through the, the whole chapter there. Um, if you are familiar with Paul's letters, we've kind of talked about it a little bit. He kind of does two things. He starts off with some doctrinal stuff, and then he gets into practical stuff. And we're in the practical stuff now where he's telling us how we should live, how we should act, how we should be, right? And it's almost as if, uh, if you look at last week, it's like Paul's finishing this sentence. As a Christian, we should be, right? And last week we talked about husbands should be loving to their wives. Children should be obedient to their parents. So it's almost like he's filling in that, that blank for us. As Christians, we should be. So I'm calling today Paul's be attitudes, okay? This is your Paul's be attitudes as we go through chapter four. And I'm going to try to point out some, some, some things practically he's telling us how to be. And that's how Christians we should live. So let's jump in. In verse two, it says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So I see here that Paul's telling us three things. Be devoted, be vigilant, and be thankful. Be devoted, be vigilant, be thankful. Let's talk about those. First, be devoted. It says, continue earnestly in prayer. So what exactly does that mean to continue earnestly? It means to be devoted, to continue in to persist in. In fact, in Acts, uh, I believe it's chapter 6, verse uh, 4, it says um, the disciples, if you remember, they, they said, we're going to give ourselves, it said, let me read it, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's the same Greek word. So there, we're here, it's, you continue earnestly, it's we're going to give ourselves over to this in prayer. Have we given ourselves over to prayer? There's a difference between saying, I pray, and I've given myself over to prayer. Right? You know what I mean? It's like saying the difference between saying, I golf, and I'm a golfer. So I own a set of golf clubs. I am not very good. Um, I go out. I don't even really enjoy it too much. It's more just hanging out with friends, right? And I know some of the guys do that, but I've had injuries where I haven't been able to go, but I know how to golf. I have a set of clubs, but I am not a golfer for sure. I am not committed to it. I'm not devoted to golf. It's too much time, too much energy. It just, yeah. So um, I, I golf, but I'm not a golfer. I think Paul's saying, look it, don't just say, I pray, be devoted to prayer. 
Give yourself over to prayer. So he's saying, be devoted. Next, be vigilant. It says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. We don't use that word a lot, but vigilant means to, uh, to keep watch, to be on guard, to be awake. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told the disciples uh, in Matthew 26, 41, he said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The same word there where he says, watch and pray. But the disciples, what? They kept falling asleep. And we don't get all judgmental on them, okay? Because I, I, I would have a hard time too. It was late probably, right? I do not do good at late night prayer meetings, if you've ever been to one. I, I'm a morning person. So if somebody said, you have two options. We're going to do a prayer meeting from 11 to 12, or from 5 and 6 in the morning. I'm all about the 5 to 6 one, okay? And I know some of you are going, what? I would way rather get up, have my coffee. I'm fresh in the morning. At night, I would be falling asleep. I would not, I definitely um, would not make it. And the disciples were not able to stay awake. They were not able to stay vigilant. But the Bible keeps telling us, stay awake, be on guard, be vigilant. It's, it's all through the scriptures. Um, why? Because there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. And we need to be on guard. In fact, 1 Peter 5.8, he uses the same word. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the Bible says we have an adversary, Tells us his name. He says his name's the devil. Says he's walking around like a roaring lion and he wants to basically destroy you. So how should we respond to that? Be on guard, right? Be awake, be vigilant. The Bible says, it also calls the enemy a thief. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Because the thief wants to rip you off. He wants to kill, kill, steal, and destroy your marriage, your family, your ministry, wants to destroy your life. Every good and great and amazing plan that God has for your life, the enemy wants to wreak havoc and destroy it. If he can't have your soul, which he doesn't have, he wants to destroy your life. And we need to be on guard. We need to be vigilant. We need... Um, to stay awake because um, it's a different type of enemy, right? Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, the battle's real. And here's, here's the thing. If you don't recognize or take serious the fact that you're in a battle, you're probably getting ripped off. It's the truth. If you're not vigilant, if you're not staying awake, you're, 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 you're getting ripped off somewhere. So the Bible says be vigilant. Next, Paul says be thankful. So uh, in verse two, he says, continue earnestly in prayer and be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. If you remember, Pastor Rick called this series Thanks Living, right? And Colossians has a lot to say on the topic of giving thanks, and we've been talking about that. But being thankful is an attitude and a lifestyle. And Christians should be the most thankful, the most grateful people on the planet, right? Because we have this rich inheritance in Christ. In fact, in chapter 1, going all the way back to chapter 1, Colossians 1, verse 12, we talked about that. It says, giving thanks. Notice right off the bat, he tells us, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. We have an inheritance. We're rich, right? The Bible says we're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says we are rich in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for who? Our sakes, that we through his poverty could become what? Rich. We're rich. We're blessed. Never forget 
to count your blessings, right? I love that song. Probably one of my favorite songs that always just kind of hits a chord with me is that Matt Redmond song, 10,000 Reasons, right? Bless the Lord. And it says, for all your goodness, I will keep on singing. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Could you find 10,000 reasons? Can you find 100? If you can't, you're not looking. Maybe we just need to make, put a big, get a piece of paper, kind of make it like a cross. We'll put a big line across one side, and then we'll go all the way down. On this side, we could put in this category all the earthly and physical blessings we have, right? Health, family, a roof over our head, all those things that we take for granted, clean water, whatever, all things that not everybody has. And then maybe on the other side, we do our spiritual inheritance and all the blessings we have in Christ, forgiveness of sins, right? Sons, daughters, we're into a family, all these things. And um, we should be really, really thankful. Start finding, we should all, let's work on that this week. Our thankful list, our thankful list. Verse three, he says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So in verse two, he said, be devoted, be vigilant, be thankful. Now in verse three, he says, be willing to ask for prayer. Be willing to ask for prayer. Uh, Verse three says, meanwhile, praying also for us. Paul's asking the church to pray for him because Paul understands the power of prayer and the value of prayer. He's not afraid to ask for prayer. This is the apostle Paul. When was the last time you asked someone to pray for you? Or do do you have a prayer network? I believe uh, the Apostle Paul, part of the reason his ministry was so powerful, remember, he was like us. He was anointed, oh God, but he's, he was an, a man just like us. God, he had all the churches praying for him and was not afraid to ask. In Ephesians, I looked up just a couple of them. The church at Ephesus, Ephesians 6, he said, pray also for me. Prayer requests? to speak the gospel with boldness. The church at Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians chapter three, he said, pray for us, prayer request, for the gospel to advance quickly. Are you seeing a theme here on his prayer request? Church at Colossae, which we're reading right now, pray for us, what's his prayer request? For God to open a door for the word. Wait a minute, he's writing this letter in prison. I don't think that would be my prayer request, right? Would that be yours? I'd be like, get me out of this place. You know, all the, Lord, you know, safety, protection. And he's like, every one of his prayers, and he's writing a lot of these you know, letters from prison. He's like, Lord, use me. Use me for your kingdom. Use me for your glory. Let the word advance. Let your word. Wow. Paul had his priorities right. He was praying to be used by God. Do you ever pray to be used by God? We should. Do you ever pray for God to open doors for you? You should. We should be praying to be used. We should be praying for divine appointments. I remember when I first came to the church and somebody was, said, yeah, we had a DA today. And I'm like, a DA, what's that? You guys ever heard that term? Anybody? Is that too old school? Or DA, divine appointments? Because it's not a biblical term. It's not a, I mean, it's a concept that's there in the Bible, but it's not like, hey, let me do a word search on divine appointments, and you're going to see all these things. But it, the concept is there, and the thought is this, that God's orchestrating your day, and there's opportunities in front of us, and we should pray for those. So let me give you an example of like what a divine, just a DA would look like, or a divine appointment. Say tomorrow you wake up, and you're praying. And while you're praying... God puts on your heart some guy you haven't seen in four years. And so you're like, okay, and you start lifting that person up in prayer. And then you go to the supermarket or Walmart or whatever, and guess who's there? Let's call him Fred. Okay, I don't know, I'm just going to make a name. But Fred's there. You haven't seen Fred in four years. Hey, that's a coincidence, huh? No, it's not divine appointment. Sometimes God, throughout our day, when we're looking, he's wanting to use you and me for certain things. And I'm so preoccupied sometimes. I walk fast all the time because it makes me look busy, like I've got something going. 
I don't know if that's really why I do, but I always find it's like, why am I in such a hurry? And sometimes we just need to stop and look and go, okay, Lord, what's, where's the opportunities here? What are, you, what are you calling me to do? God has divine appointments. And Paul understood that, that God's the one that opens and closes doors. So he's asking him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 2.12, he said, when I came to Troas to preach the Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by who? By the Lord. You see, the book of Revelation says that it's God who opens doors and nobody can shut. And what he shuts, nobody can open. We need God to open doors. Lord, we pray, Lord, for us right now, even as a church, Lord, that you would open doors or that you would use us, Lord, that you would give us opportunities, Lord, to touch lives, to touch souls, Lord. We pray for divine opportunities, Lord. Let the cornerstone, Lord, be a light, Lord. Use us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. We want to be used. And what was Paul praying open doors about? To speak the mystery of Christ. He said in verse 3, to speak the mystery of Christ from which I am in chains. And we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night, about what a mystery is. In the Bible, a mystery is something, a biblical truth, it's not like a a murder mystery type book or something where you're looking for clues and trying to figure something out. A mystery in the Bible is something that is hidden, but then later is revealed. In fact, we talked about it in Colossians 1.26. It says, this mystery, which has been from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Hidden from ages and generations, now revealed. You see, a mystery was something that was there but it hadn't yet been revealed. And Paul was saying, look, God's been revealing these mysteries through, through the apostles. And he teaches, he talks about the mystery of Christ. And um, there's three, three things I was going to talk about. There's a lot, actually, in the Bible that Paul has to say about the mysteries, but just three I'm going to point out that as it refers to the mystery of Christ, that in Ephesians 2, he tells us that in Christ, there's one new humanity. He says, Jew and Gentile are now one, that God has made one new man in the place of two. That was a mystery. They didn't see that. And uh, number two, in Christ, it says, Gentiles are fellow heirs. Ephesians 3 says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and partakers of the promise. And then finally, another one, um, that in Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That was a mystery. We talked about that, right? And in this, going all the way back to uh, Colossians chapter 1, don't you remember? It says to them, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the Old Testament uh, uh, expectation was Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. And Paul's like, the mystery was, oh, it's not just God with us, it's going to be God in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? The Holy Spirit is in us. And then it goes on in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, I think Paul says, three sixteen. do you not know that you, and that you is plural, there. So that's us, corporately, are the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells in you, again, plural. So the Bible tells us that individually, each one of us, every single believer in here, if you are a born-again Christian, you have the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit inside of you, sometimes called the spirit of Christ. And if you don't, you're not a Christian. That's not me saying that, that's Paul. In, 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 in uh, the Bible says, Paul said, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. Look, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, doesn't matter if we feel the Holy Spirit inside us. Hopefully we can. It's not about a feeling. It's about a biblical truth and a reality that as a son and daughter of the king, God put his spirit inside of you. You're a temple, but that was a mystery. That was a mystery in the Old Testament, but now it's been revealed. Let's move on to verse four. It says, um, that I that I may make it manifest as 
I ought to speak, that I may make it manifest. Notice that word, as I ought to speak. I think there's two things Paul's here telling us. Um, he wants to be a source of truth and be faithful. Be a, be a source of truth and be faithful. Paul wanted to be a source of truth. He wanted to what? To make the mystery of Christ known. He had the truth and he didn't want to just hold it. He wanted to share it. He wanted to be a source of that truth. He wanted everybody to know. And then be faithful because um, God, that's, let me just put it this way. Do what God has called you to do. That's being faithful, right? He's given us all. We, Pastor Rick talked about our calling. He's called us and given us ministry, certain things that, that he's called us to do. Being faithful is just doing what you're supposed to do. That's not exciting. That's just Christianity. That's just doing what God's called me to do. And notice uh, what Paul said, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. See, ought in a, uh, the word ought implies necessity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, if I preach the gospel, I've got nothing to boast about. For necessity is laid upon me. And then he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. You see, that's what he was called to do. It wasn't an, an option. This was a necessity. I think Paul's telling us, be faithful to what God has called you to do. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. So in verse 2, Paul told us, be devoted, be vigilant, be thankful. Verse 3, be willing to ask for prayer. Verse 4, be a source of truth, be faithful. And now in verse 5, I think he's telling us, be wise, be a light, and be opportunistic. Let me explain. Be wise, be the light, and be opportunistic. First, be wise. He says, walk in wisdom. This is the third time in Colossians that Paul mentioned something about how to walk. In chapter one, he said, walk worthy of the Lord. Chapter two, he says, walk in him, talking about in Christ. And now in chapter four, he says, walk in wisdom. Paul had a lot to say about our walk. In his mind, there's only two ways to walk. You can walk wisely, which is to walk in wisdom, or you can walk unwisely or to walk in foolishness. There's a parallel passage to this in Ephesians where he basically says the exact same thing, but it gives us a little bit more insight because he uh, words it slightly different. And it says, look care, in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of your time because the days are evil. So Paul's telling us to be wise. Paul's telling us to walk in wisdom. And then he says, be a light. Walk, towards the, uh, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. He's talking about our witness. Be a light, be a witness. You have a witness, you know that? It's either a good one or a bad one, but you got one. We each have one. So how are we doing? How's our witness? Notice it asked who, who's this directed towards? Towards those who are outside. Outside the faith. Non-believers. They're watching us. I remember Pastor Sumo used to always tell me, he said, Scott, you're the only Bible that a lot of people will ever read. He said that all the time. You're the only Bible and I've heard a lot of people say that. And I think it's true. It's unfortunate. But the world is watching us. And I think we're called to shine. I think we're called to be a light. To really represent um, the hands and feet of Christ and draw people in to that, to, uh, into that light. So be wise, be a light. And then it says, I believe, be opportunistic. Because he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time, that word redeeming the time there, the NASB says, making the most of the opportunity. Making the most of the opportunity. You guys know that we each have, every single one of us will have opportunities today. How we respond, how we identify, if we even identify those opportunities, it'll be different for each of us, but um, 
to have those opportunities and to make the best use of our time and to make the most of every opportunity means don't, don't waste your life. I think that's really what he's saying. Don't waste your life. Don't, don't just go through life um, oblivious to all the spiritual opportunities that are, there are for us. Every moment, we each have 24 hours today, right? How we spend it's going to look a lot different. How we spend it is, is going to be um, different for each of us. But the Bible says your life is a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Your life's a vapor. It's here for a little bit. Life's just short, right? It's quick. And Paul's like, don't, don't waste your life. Live, live for God and live for his glory. Look for opportunities. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. So Paul's telling us, be wise, be a light, and be opportunistic. Verse six, he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So um, I, from this section, verse six, I have be gracious, be salt, and be prepared. Be gracious. Notice it says, let your speech always be with grace. The ESV translates that gracious. Let your speech be gracious. Is your speech gracious? Sometimes. Or is our speech at times critical? Sarcastic? I love sarcasm. I know it's, it's, it's not good, but I love sarcasm. A good sarcastic comment here and there, but I know it's not good. Critical, sarcasm, hurtful, harsh. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can use it to build people up. We can use it to tear people down. So your words matter. Choose them wisely, right? And when it comes to our speech, I think the Apostle Paul says, choose grace. Choose grace. Be gracious. Be salt. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Um, Matthew 5, 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Salt is both a seasoning you know, it adds flavor, but it's also a preservative. And as a seasoning, our speech should be attractive to others. It should be flavored with love and kindness, and it should draw people into Christ. And as a preservative, preservatives preserve food and prevent decay, right? Our speech should be used to preserve the truth. We should be a light, right? Um, our job, let me say something, our job is to speak the truth in love and then let, let the chips fall where they will. That, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, you and I are in an interesting time because um, you can speak the truth in love and still be attacked for it as being hateful. Let me, but let me say something, though. I really mean speaking it in love and in kindness. Didn't, isn't that what Jesus did? Was Jesus the most loving, kind, gracious person on the earth? Yeah. Didn't they put him on a cross? They didn't like what he said, and they didn't like what he did. Do you remember John the Baptist? He spoke the truth. He went to King Herod. He had taken his brother Philip's wife. And he said, you can't do that. That's not right. It's not lawful. And so what happened? He got thrown in jail, later got beheaded. He spoke the truth. Speaking the truth and even doing it in love doesn't mean that it's going to end well for us. And I don't mean that to scare you. I'm just saying we, we have to make a decision. Sometimes we just have to speak the truth in love and then let the chips fall where they will. It's in God's hands, right? Our job is to make sure that we're doing it in love. But sometimes the most loving thing to do is to tell somebody the truth and not telling them truth can, is actually unloving. 
So let's speak the truth in love and let the chips fall where they will. Amen? I didn't hear any amens to that one. That's a tough one. That's tough. But that's part of it. That's part of being a Christian. Sometimes we need boldness. I may say something. I know somebody's not going to like it, but I'm going to try to do it in love. And um, finally then, uh, he says, be prepared. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. How we ought to answer. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect. There it is again. Let people know the truth, but with gentleness and respect. So I, I titled this one, Be Prepared. That's where that word for giving a defense, that's where we get the, the term apologetics, the Greek word there. They, um, for the English, we call that apologetics. Um, and I just want to say this. We don't need to know, as Christians, we don't need to know everything. But there are some things we need to know. Right? Some basics. You may not need you may not need to know everything. You don't need to know every aspect. Are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? Are you pre-millennial? Are you post-millennial? Are you all-millennial? Are you, oh, I can keep going. You're like, okay, just stop, just stop. And it's like some of those things, those are just different. Those, are, those aren't necessarily essentials. We don't need to know all that. But you know what we need to know? We should know about the Trinity. We should know the gospel, the contents of the gospel, some basics. If somebody handed you a Bible, because, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible and said, show me the Trinity. Because, you know, the word's not in the Bible, but the concept and the doctrine of the Trinity is all over the pages of the Bible. That should be pretty basic for us. And if, if you can't, I want to encourage you, get into the deeper classes this year. There's the foundations. Get in. Yes, I just did a shameless plug for deeper. Get in there. And if you've already taken it, get in again. There's different levels and just keep building that. Be prepared. And then finally, some of you guys are probably really nervous right now because you're going, wow, we just did six verses. Well, I've got, I've got good news for you, okay? We will get out before lunch. No, the, the news is that I'm going to take this last section as one unit. And I just divide it up in two things. So I'm just going to make a couple comments because Paul goes through this whole letter and now we are really at the end of the letter. And he's going to start talking about his companions and his friends and saying a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce, okay? And, and so during this section, I just titled it, Be in Fellowship. Be in Fellowship because we're going to read about all of Paul's companions. So let's do that. Verses 7 through 11. Tychius a beloved brother and faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who's one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction, if he comes, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, they are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort for me. So Paul lists five people of the circumcision, five of his Jewish companions that are doing ministry with him. I'm just going to mention two of them right now. Onesimus, you might be familiar with Onesimus. He was in the, the, the runaway uh, bondservant in Philemon, right? Um, Philemon lived in the city of Colossae. So um, we were talking about divine appointments. This is a story, really, of a divine appointment. So here's Phi, uh, um, Onesimus. He takes off, runs away from his boss, Philemon. He runs to the city of Rome, Big city, lots of people, easy to get lost. And you know who he just happened to run into? Apostle Paul. And you know who he, he just happened to hear the gospel and get saved? Coincidence, huh? And then now, Paul is sending Onesimus back with this guy, Tychius, and they're coming back to the church at Colossae. He's going back to his hometown, and they're bringing this letter. He's now been reconciled, Onesimus, 
to God, and then Paul wants him to be reconciled with Philemon. Pretty amazing divine appointment is really what it was. Paul, God orchestrated that whole meeting between them. So he was a runaway, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, was a walkaway, right? Remember in Acts 13, he walked away from Paul and Barnabas on their, on their missionary journey, and then Paul was all about, upset about it and didn't want him coming back. He said, no, he didn't finish the work, and him and uh, he broke up the band. If I can use the term, he broke up the band. Paul and, Paul and Barnabas split ways because of that. They had a sharp disagreement about it. But then in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, the last letter he wrote, chapter 4, verse 11, he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. I love that. He'd been restored. So Onesimus was a runaway. Mark was a walkaway, but in God's eyes, there's no throwaways, right? He, he, our, our story doesn't end uh, until we go to be with the Lord or he comes for us. And, and God finished their story. Verse 12 through 18, uh, verse 12 and 13, Epaphras, who's one of you, a bondservant of Christ greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, we know him, right? Wrote uh, the gospel of Luke and Acts. Demas greets you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see also that uh, it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. For the sake of time, I just wanted to mention one name here that um, on this list that I think is worth, they're all worth mentioning because Paul's mentioning them, but this person's truly amazing and I don't think we, he gets enough credit. In verse 12 and 13, we just read about Epaphras, right? He was back in chapter one, if you remember Epaphras, uh, verse, chapter one, verse seven, and we learned that he was the one that first brought the gospel to Colossae. And many historians believe that he was the one that founded the church at Colossae. Remember, Paul recognized that, that he did, it wasn't his, that, that uh, had founded it in, in, in earlier. So this guy's amazing. He was an evangelist, right? He brought the gospel to Colossae. He was a church planner. He founded the church. And then he's a prayer warrior. Look at what it says. In the intercessory prayer, verse 12, Epaphras is always laboring fervently for you in prayer. The NIV says wrestling for you in prayer. The ESV, I think, says struggling on your behalf in prayer. It sounds like hard work, right? He was an intercessory prayer warrior. Evangelist, church planner, prayer warrior. We all need and, and, and the part about the, him being the prayer warrior, always wrestling and struggling and laboring fervently on whose behalf? Your behalf. We all need an Epaphras in our life. Someone that's going to intercede for us and wrestle in prayer on our behalf. All the parents in here know what that's like, right? You do that for your kids and you just intercede and wrestling. And not only do we need an Epaphras, we need to be an Epaphras to somebody. We need that and we should be that. That's, that's something that should never, that's a role that should never really stop. Who are you interceding for right now? That should be, that, you, that should be on the, like that. Can I, can I challenge you with something? If you couldn't answer that when I said, who are you interceding and contending for right now? If you didn't have that, you're not doing a good job. I'm just saying. You should have at least one person Spouse, child, friend, somebody that you're interceding and contending for. That should be easy for us. If not, we need to be a little more vigilant. We need to be a little bit more aware of what God's called us to do, especially 
on our loved ones, right? Families and friends. That should, that should be one. And we all need an Epaphras, and we all should be an Epaphras. So we're going to go ahead and close. If I can get the worship team to come on up. Um, we're going to pray, and we're going to take communion as well. So if the ushers want to um, prepare for that. So we'll pray, and then when the band's playing, the, uh, the ushers will hand out communion, and you can just hold that, and we'll, we'll, we'll take it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us, Lord, to hear your word today, Lord. We, we pray, God, Lord, that you would help us to live it out now, God. We don't want to just come here today for, for information, Lord. We want to be changed, Lord, transformed. We want to be more like you. Lord, I pray that uh, you would change our hearts, Lord. Some of these things that we talked about, Lord, that we would be salt, that we would be light, Lord, that we would walk in wisdom, that we would intercede and contend for those who don't know you, Lord, that we would look for opportunities, Lord, that we'd be opportunistic, Lord. God, we pray, if there's anybody here or watching online that doesn't know you, that you would open their heart in mind to see the glory of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I encourage you, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Lord, we do that this morning. We put all our faith and all our trust and you, and if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Let's worship together as the ushers hand up to you this morning. is calling Have you come to the end of
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And the Bible says that when he had given thanks, he told them then take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. So as we take this bread, let's remember the body of Jesus Christ, which suffered on our behalf, that was nailed to a cross for us. We do that now, let's go ahead and take it. The Bible says after supper hit in, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant of my blood. And this cup that represents the blood of Jesus is so deep and so profound because it was that blood that washes us from every sin. It was that blood that purchased us. We talked about that verse. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Then it says, for you were bought at a price. Do you know what the price was? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased us. We're his. So not only is he our Savior, he's our Lord. And we acknowledge that, Lord. And as we take this, this cup, let's think about the blood of Jesus that washes us clean, but also purchases us and redeems us. Yeah. 